Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to the peripheral. I have a few thank yous I need to put out there. First, a shout out to the Beat family. I hope that makes your day. And thank you, Erica, for moderating the Facebook peripheral group. I haven't told you thank you yet, and that's long overdue. I also need to thank my niece, Kayla. She has been helping me edit my podcast so I can get them out on a regular schedule. Also, thank you to everyone that's written to me. The last email from Michelle was definitely touching. She says, I thought I was a very tolerant and non-judgmental person until listening to you. You surprise and inspire me all the time. I love how you encourage people to open up while treating them with the utmost respect. Your empathy is prevalent in all that you do. The world is a much better place with people like you in it. It's very, very kind and some words that I needed to hear this week. On this week's episode, we're going to cover mysterious deaths. And when we suffer the death of someone close to us, it destroys everything we know. We have to start over with everything that we know is true in the world. Our emotions take over and we want to understand and we want to find closure. If there are unanswered questions, it can consume our very being. Our first guest is Julie. She will come home to find to find a horrifying scene. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I sure can. How are you doing, Julie? I'm doing good. Awesome. What are you, what are you, do you have an idea where to start with this? <laughs> I, I guess I kind of do. Okay. Well, my name is Julie. I recently became a member of the I Don't Speak to My Mother Club as well. <laughs> um, we have a real rocky history. She's uber Christian. She's really horrified to let people know that our family isn't perfect. Uh, about six months ago is when I unfriended her on Facebook and blocked her and it's been so freeing. And so this is another way for me to kind of break free from her because I have felt really repressed about this story that I'm dying to tell somebody so that I can get some answers or if somebody has something that they could relate to it, could help somebody or they could help me. I don't know. We'll see. And this, this story is something that she would be aghast if, you, if she heard you telling it. She would be horrified. Right. So maybe she won't find out about it, but if she does... I'm uh, going on with my independence here. Yeah. From a, bravo. Uh, there is a stigma with suicide. So uh, my dad killed himself 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably to the day, to this very moment that you and I are talking, it's really strange to think about it that way. Uh, it, it was my daughter's birthday, and I have twin daughters. I tried to call my parents' house. Um, they live in the North Georgia mountains. And there was no answer, and I didn't really think about it. We went out to lunch that day, and it was a rainy day. I'll never forget driving around, and Donna Summers 
looking for some hot stuff came on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Which was one of my favorite albums that I listened to when I was like seven. I don't know why. I kept thinking, why did my dad let me listen to this song? I used to dance around in the living room to it in my nightgown and stuff. And mm. I remember having that thought that day. What was my dad thinking? It's always funny, then, the, the little memories like that that we associate yeah. with the day. <laughs> and now whenever I hear that song, I, I think about that moment. I was driving to work. I had to go to work that evening at a radio station. I was a DJ. And my mom called. She said, uh, are you driving? Pull over. It was like a monsoon happening, too, where I was at. Lots of rain. Mm-hmm. She told me that she had been out of town the last She'd gone to take care of my grandmother who had Alzheimer's. And when she came home, uh, they live in a gated community in the North Georgia Mountains. She found uh, in the driveway next to the house, there was like a, a white T-shirt tied to uh, the side of the house. And she thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if uh, your dad has surrendered And I laughed and she said, um, so it was just a weird way to start the conversation. (laughs) She said that she looked all over and she couldn't find him, but I could tell something was like dreadfully wrong. I was just a bated breath. I didn't know what this was going to end in. You you just knew you had that, that gut feeling that something was out. This is not good. This Mm -hmm. is not good. The story is that she found him hanging from a tree in the backyard and Then the details just get really out of control. But he was found hanging from a, not a big tree, but kind of a a medium tree, a tree that no one would ever climb. No one would ever tie anything to a branch from. Mm -hmm. It kind of slumped over. He had had used some just regular um, white rope. Also, the weird thing is, is that his hands were tied behind his back. Typically, most people would say, how were his hands tied behind his back? Somebody killed him the knee-jerk that is the first thing yes absolutely (laughs) there were some other strange things uh the screen door of the house was punched in so it almost looked like someone had tried to break in uh when i went down a few days later for the funeral she had not been to the house much hadn't done anything and my brother and i went upstairs to go clean up his room and his the room was left exactly the way it was before he died so nothing in the house was ransacked really that's what the police say. There was nothing ransacked. There was, a, you know, a break in the screen door. You could see where he had taken his clothes off in, in the upstairs bedroom. They were almost like laid out on the floor like a person. And so that was weird. They, my mom says that's what he would do when he, before he would get in the shower. So he must have taken his clothes off, taken a shower. And then later on that day when I had first gone back to the house in the laundry room in the basement, I saw a bunch of uh, white T-shirts that had been chopped up and kind of thrown to the, the side of, of the laundry room. That's weird. Backing up a little bit, mm-hmm. when he was found hanging from the tree, he was naked. And he was wearing like an Indian, like a, like a dress, kind of like a skirt. But he cut this white t-shirt up in, into this loincloth. So that was bizarre. A lot of questions here. A lot of questions. My uncle came to the funeral. He was a police detective at one point in his life. And uh, he also thought that it, it looked like somebody else had done this. First of all, there was a ladder not too far from the tree that he had hung himself from. He said, you know, if he really wanted to hang himself, why wouldn't he have used a ladder and climbed up a bigger tree? Why did he have his hands tied behind his back? Well, the police said that they were tied loosely enough that he could have slipped his hands out if he wanted to. Later on, I got the autopsy report, actually much later on, just a few weeks ago, to be honest. And the autopsy says that 
the hands were somewhat behind the back, but more anatomically at the sides of the buttocks. So there must have been a large gap between where his hands were and the rope. Yeah, he had a, a lot of slack between the, the knots on his wrists, I'm assuming. Something like that. Yeah. They checked out his computer. They searched the house, supposedly. And the police say it, there was no signs of anybody else being on the property and that it was a suicide, a hanging. Let me talk about my dad real quick. Okay. Yeah, no problem. He went to the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. He was a huge Gators fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, he studied journalism. He was a um, television news producer. He was. We moved up to Georgia because he helped start one of the major cable news networks. He uh, loved his job. We spent lots of time together in the car when I was in college, driving back and forth, listening to NPR, talking about journalism, the integrity of journalism, how you shouldn't take a side, all of these things that are really forefront in the news today that I'm like, gosh, he would just die if he saw the news, what it had turned out to be in the time that we live in. I mean, just a, a really good guy. Took me to baseball games. Um, the thing is, my grandmother, his mom, had dementia. His dad had Alzheimer's. Uh, his dad died pretty early in my life, but his mom suffered from dementia for a decade or so. Yeah. Uh, we took some time taking care of her. She would sneak out of the house and run around naked in the, in the neighborhood, as, as people with dementia do. It was pretty awful. I mean, he saw her really suffer, and I believe that my mother and I both believe that there were some signs that he was ab about to go into that world. So that was one thing that crossed our mind. Did he kill himself to try to prevent us from having to suffer the way he suffered watching his mom? I would say that's, that's a motive, definitely. People that know that you know they're spiraling downhill with old age, health, whatever, they don't want to put anyone else through that. They don't want to go through it themselves either. Mm -hmm. so, right. I see it. But there's just not a lot of forethought, I think, no evidence of that mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. They had, my mother and my father had just uh, planned a trip overseas. They were going to go to Italy. There were literally tickets. The tickets had just arrived and were sitting on the dining room table. Mm -hmm. uh, they were planning this fabulous trip. You know, my mom was taking care of my grandmother, who was also suffering from Alzheimer's. They had had a nice romantic moment before she left town. And there was no fighting going on. Now, I always thought that my mother would drive me crazy. And I could totally see wanting to climb up a tree because of her. <laughs> <laughs> but I really think they got along. I think yeah. that they were a sweet old couple. So, yeah. Did he leave a note or anything? No, there was no note. My mom looks for weird little clues. She thinks he left underlined a passage in the Bible. She has this off-the-wall theory that this book he was reading, and I have spent a lot of time with this stupid book. It's called The Morning River. It's by a fellow named W. Michael Gear. It's a novel of the great Missouri wilderness in 1825. <laughs> it's okay. a terrible book. <laughs> I'm sorry, W. Michael Gear, but it's about a, a, a guy from England who's colonizing America and falls in love with an Indian. It, it's one of those kind of love stories. There's one scene in this book where she is uh, raped and um, she's tied up with this white rope. So my mom seems to think that maybe he was manifesting that somehow. Mm -hmm. 
That's why maybe he was wearing this Indian headdress thing or loincloth. Yeah. I don't know. I've read this, the passage. It doesn't really ring any bells with the situation, but it sucks because I had to spend a lot of time thinking about the stupid book. And anyway, I, um, I, can, I can see the connection that your mother's making, but it doesn't, I, I don't know if that really. Is... She also thought that when I was reading The Exorcist when I was in eighth grade, that I was exhibiting signs of that book. So I'm sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> um, Most eighth graders are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, she took the book away from me. She destroyed it. She wouldn't let me finish reading it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the only experience I'd really had with suicide uh, before this was when my cousin killed himself. Mm-hmm. And of course, our family thought that it was his wife that had shot him. Oh. I'm sure that her family would like to think that he just killed himself. It just seemed weird that it was a similar situation. A lot of those same people were at the funeral talking about all of this. And I thought, well, I wonder if this just goes through the minds of everybody who lives through a suicide. It wasn't murder. I've become a huge fan of true crime podcasts. I realize that this yeah. is possible. Yeah. Actually, I think the reason I listen to podcasts and, and watch documentaries about murder and death is so that I can understand maybe what happened to my dad. Yeah, And I have actually found a lot of clues through that. Um, there's the story of, um, let's see, Gary Hilton, mm-hmm. who was the guy who was a serial killer. He killed uh, Meredith Emerson in, in, on Blood Mountain. Okay, that, that rings a bell. Yeah. She was, she was a hiker. Uh, she had the dog, and he had the dog. He also killed a couple that had been hiking in Florida. That was from, I think, Virginia, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, this happened all around about the same time. So when I started hearing that, I thought, well, I wonder if this Gary Hilton happened upon my dad and just scared the crap out of him and forced him to do all these things. Um, I don't know. I guess that's one of the reasons that I'm trying to tell this story is because could there be a connection to that? I've, I've listened to a lot of stories about him. As a result, mm-hmm. the MO is not exactly the same. He would steal money and things. Uh, there's no sign of anything being stolen, but do we really know that? I don't really know that they really checked out the property or or the house or or anything really. Um, yeah, I had my garage broken into repeatedly by these two kids and I had no idea what they had taken, but they'd taken a lot of things. And this is my possessions, not my mother or father's possessions. This is my Mm -hmm. stuff. I, I couldn't even, in court, I, I couldn't come up with what the damages were of my losses when they finally caught him. Because hmm. I, no, I had no idea. So right. it makes sense. You know, you don't know if anything was taken. Well, and she had a lot of, they had a lot of crap. So, I mean, there's so much to take. Yeah. They probably would never miss. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a possibility. At the funeral, when we were discussing the possibility of murder, the pastor who was involved told, and this is all hearsay to me. No one told me directly to my face, but told my mom, told my uncle, yeah, someone has said that there's a crazy man in the woods. So I'm like, okay, that's it. It's the crazy man that did it. Obviously. Why are we not checking this out? But everybody was filled with so much grief. There was just no way to really, I didn't want to push the issue. I kind of pushed the issue, but I talked about it with a few people, but I was in trying to be sensitive to my mom. My mom was just so horrified that this had gone down the way it had. You know, he was naked. 
what there was questions about whether it could have been uh, some sort of sexual thing that he was into uh, what David Carradine might have been into the erotic asphyxiation mm-hmm. when David Carradine was found dead. Here's another story that I latched onto. Yeah. It happened a few years after my dad died. Um, his hands were tied behind his back. And so a lot of people thought that it might've been murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, David Carradine was a really dark person into some kinky things. I, I just can't, I can't think of my dad that way. Really probably nobody can, but I just don't have any evidence whatsoever that my dad was anything like that. I, I mean, we've I, looked. Yeah. I guess if, if it's just something that was between him and your mother, uh, but knowing your mom's personality, I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that really fits in, unless you found a stash of pornography or something under his bed or I don't think none of yeah. that. Yeah. Nothing like that. At the time, in 2007 when it happened, I was looking for answers. When I got home, I started Googling. And in 2007, there wasn't much on Google. No. Um, there was really, there was no murder Reddit, you know, websites to go down or groups to join or anything like that. Um, no sleuthing to do. Yeah. The only thing I could really find out about at the time was that there was a lot of Indian folklore in the area because it was the North Georgia Mountains. Uh, that about a mountain over from where my parents lived, there was a story of a couple that had jumped off a cliff because their parents wouldn't allow them to get married or be together. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of spirits, a lot of ghost stories, that kind of stuff involving Indians. And, okay, so here's where I go off the deep end. I also went to a counselor. Okay, I was working for a Christian radio station. They were very kind. They hooked me up with some free counseling. And by the time I left there, I was convinced that Satan had killed my dad. <laughs> that it was an evil spirit. I was yeah. doing chants and mantras and mm-hmm. all kinds of weird stuff that I never thought I would do. I was really freaked out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't and it doesn't hurt if it makes you feel better to cleanse it, your it house. It did not make me feel <laughs> oh, okay. better. It oh. made me terrified. I yeah. mean, I just I would have these panic attacks and nightmares. I don't know, like Hellboy or something showing up in the garage and tearing my dad's t-shirt up and forcing him to put it on and go out in the back and hang himself from a tree. It just it doesn't make any sense. It's it's crazy talk to me. Yeah. yeah. It was an interesting avenue to go down because of this Indian folklore and evil spirits and I don't know. There could be some I believe there's good and evil in the world for sure, but I just don't think that this was a um evil spirit necessarily. Well, in- My gut still tells me it was a crazy this crazy man in the woods. Yeah. Where then- did that come from? So it's a traumatic experience. Most people do not ever in their lives come across a, a dead body or a family member who's passed. It's just, it doesn't happen very often. It's very, in, it's a very intense experience and you're going to respond to it very intensely and you're going to try mm-hmm. to make order out of this chaos. I looked up photos of people who have hung themselves and and bound their hands, but it's still very questionable to me even, even though I know that's a thing. I know people do that. I, it still would give me a lot of pause seeing that. Mm -hmm. Right. The whole idea, I mean, how did he tie his hands behind his back? It's just, doesn't seem possible. Even if it was a loose knot, what were, what was he thinking? I don't think he was lucid at all. Mm -hmm. And Kind of the final resting spot for my mother and I is when uh, Robin Williams died. Mm-hmm. He had Lewy body dementia, supposedly, which is 
a form of dementia, and it's when protein deposits uh, develop in your brain, and it, it affects your thinking, your memory, your movement, your motor control. It causes a decline in your mental abilities. You may have hallucinations, changes in alertness and attention. Those are things that my dad definitely had problems with. Mm-hmm. At his last job, he was sent home one day. My mom said, called the station and said, well, he's not sick. What's wrong? And uh, one of the guys who works with him said, well, he was just talking out of his head. That was kind of a, the start of maybe he was starting to exhibit some signs, mm-hmm. not necessarily of Alzheimer's, because he wasn't really forgetful. He was he was a crazy list maker. He made tons of lists. 2007 was right at the height of Napster. Mm-hmm. I inherited a thousand homemade CDs that he made of songs that were important to him. And for some reason, he was obsessed with songs that had won Grammys. I have every year of Grammys in every category that was ever nominated. And he was working furiously on all of this right before this happened. Mm-hmm. So he would disappear into the basement and just start making lists and working on this stuff on his computer. My mom didn't know what he was doing. She just thought, oh, well, he's retired. Let him do what he's doing. There was some weird stuff going on the last time I saw him. I could just see this far-off look in his eyes. It wasn't really my dad. He he would kind of walk the other way when we were all walking in one direction. And so I can see how maybe there was a visual hallucination that would cause this. That Mm -hmm. almost makes perfect sense to me. But he wasn't really—you couldn't tell if he was depressed or anything like that. He he seemed pretty— up, up yeah. to, you know, upbeat and outgoing. Absolutely. It was my daughter's birthday. What grandpa decides to kill themselves on their twin t- granddaughter's birthday. Yeah. I mean, that would just be cruel. I just can't imagine he would do that to me. It just had to have been an accident or a murder, something. Uh, it's, it's forever going to bother me, but, and I don't think I may not ever have answers. Um, I don't really know how to go about to the next step. You know, I, I made some inquiries to to the White County coroner mm-hmm. and to the police department. The police department said they didn't have any records of this. What? <laughs> yeah. Even though they were called out that day. I mean, it was 10 years ago. I don't know. Yeah, it's record I d- keeping. <laughs> I don't really know how to go about, you know, forcing this issue, you know, like... Have you read the autopsy report? I have it right here in front of me. Okay. And I have... I've read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you Did- know, it's... There's, there's a few things that are disconcerting, um... There was black debris beneath his fingernails. That could have been from, I don't know, playing with this tree or tying a knot. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were superficial scratches noted on the lower extremities and buttocks. Well, he was out in the woods and he's naked. There's a good chance he's going to get scratches on his butt. Any... There's a lot, a lot of words I don't understand as well. So, um, was there any kind of toxicology done, or any drugs in the system, or anything? There were no, no evidence of drugs. Okay. I read that somewhere here. Mm-hmm. You know, they they noted the deceased wears a white loin loincloth. That's the word we were looking for. <laughs> yeah, wears a white loincloth type garment, apparently composed out of two halves of a t-shirt strung together with clothesline rope. He is otherwise unclad. <laughs> Um, no medical devices or, um, 
Yeah, there was there was definitely toxicology something yeah. in here. Okay. Well, if if you remember reading it and not, I, I don't want to say that. Oh, they had drugs in their system. They must. Well, have, you I'll know, tell you, you they know. found a an empty um, wine cooler in mm. the garbage can. He, w- he believed that drinking um, one drink a night was good for you. And he would just drink one drink. And it's it a was... wine cooler. Come on. <laughs> a, a wine cooler. Yeah. I know, right? He used to be a, at least a, a beer guy. So yeah. in, in the neck, there was no evidence of hemorrhage found at any point. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, again, I, I don't, don't really understand. There's no trauma to the head. I was kind of looking for something within the brain itself. Are you? Uh, the cerebral vessels are congested, but no other vascular abnormalities. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for a clue that will make you believe that it was either suicide or murder? Yeah, I am. Okay. I am looking for a clue. I'm. I'm looking for a clue to see if... There's maybe some hint of this protein that develops mm-hmm. that they're describing um, in in the Louis body dementia. Yeah, uh, that would be great. And this is a relatively new disease that's been discovered and talked about, and really came to the forefront when Robin Williams died. Yeah, um, there's been some great documentaries about it on PBS that I've seen. I just inhaled it. I was like, "What is this? Mm-hmm. This is this sounds like my dad." But um, the, but I doubt they were looking for that when they did the autopsy exactly they didn't even know what it was in 2007 who yeah. gets dementia overnight yeah or he was never diagnosed with anything like it before he'd mm-hmm. gone to the doctor pretty recently before he died yeah. i don't know how you go about discovering these mental problems before they happen um in the elderly if the elderly person doesn't want to tell the doctor that they have these memory problems how does the doctor find this stuff out Mm-hmm. It, it probably depends on the doctor. Yeah, yeah. As you know, listening to true crime podcasts and whatnot, you know, investigations are can be very superficial. And if they deem something uh, a suicide... It, That's it. It's yeah. done. They're, they're zipped up. It's done. Yeah. yeah. There, there's not going to be a lot of investigation. You're not going to have a forensics team on site. You're not going to have the due diligence that you would if it was deemed a homicide. Right. And and as we know, even if it's deemed a homicide, you still might not get the due diligence. But uh, if if they looked at it as a suicide, then they're they're not going to look for the proteins. They're not going to look for. I'm I'm surprised they did a toxicology. To, to be honest, I'm, just because that uh, it's sometimes it's not always done. Let's just put it that way. Well, I was surprised that they took his computer. You know, they, they were looking for any kind of evidence of maybe, uh, and this was something that came up in my, my crazy Christian counseling sessions. Was he, uh, you know, did he owe any debts? Was he in debt? Was there something that he was hiding from your mom or you? And there was nothing. There was no evidence of anything like that. He was a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, another, here's another story I, I wanted to tell you. Going back to the crazy spirits and ghosts in the North Georgia mountains. <laughs> no problem. My mom had been telling me a story about a trip they had taken recently before he died. And they just happened to be talking about what did he want to leave his children? Um, what kind of legacy did he want to leave them, leave us? And he said integrity was the key word. He just wanted us to have integrity. And probably at the time, I didn't have a whole lot of integrity. I was in the bathroom at the funeral. 
My mom's purse was in there. You know how mom's wallets can sometimes just be overflowing with like cash money. (laughs) So I thought it would be cool to like steal $5 and she'd never notice, right? I hear my dad's voice loud as day and crystal clear. And he just said, integrity, Julie. And I put that $5 back because it scared the crap out of me. But I knew it was him. I knew it was him. Mm -hmm. Also, when my brother was at the house, he's like not this kind of person at all. There's no way he believes in ghosts. Mm -hmm. But he told me that he heard dad tell him it wasn't me. It was a crazy person. So again, back to the crazy person, crazy man in the woods. These are things that I just I cannot get out of my head. Mm-hmm. And then you hear a story about a, a crazy man like Gary Hilton, who's out there killing not just young college students uh, on the mountain, but elderly couples in the woods. You know, just it could have been him. And he was there. He was in that area, in that same county. Probably a number of times. He was from that part of the, of Georgia. Maybe not him. Maybe somebody like him. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I get that. I just, I wonder, what gives me pause is the, the t-shirt loincloth thing he was wearing is... Again, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I get held up on every single theory. I'm like, but... Yeah. There was this. Have you done like two lists of murder and then suicide and put things on each one of the list and... That's a great idea. No, I've never thought of that. Uh, I mean, and, and some of them will, will go on both sides of, you know, on both lists, uh, I'm sure. Uh-huh. But I would do that. And it's not going to give you the answers you want, but it's organizing your thoughts. It's organizing what you're looking at here. And I know it sounds kind of morbid, especially when it's your own father. But mm-hmm. it's just a, you know, if I have a tough decision to make or if I'm, a financial situation where I'm doing, I, I, do I take a vacation or do I not? I, I make a list of the pros and cons and sometimes it gives me a clearer picture. Well, that's a, that's probably what I'll be doing um, tomorrow then. <laughs> you, you have Very- all the material right there in front of you and you can just start going through and take two pages and separate pages. That way you have room to write as you need. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you're looking at. There's been a lot of stuff that's come up in the last 10 years. I myself have been through so much in the last 10 years. I I beat breast cancer. You know, I got out of a terrible marriage. I've moved on with my life. I'm I'm actually happier, better off, yada, 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 than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And this, this I've been able to sort of kind of put into a uh, a basket of crazy. It's just, it's my basket of crazy. I don't know the answer. I can't explain it. I would call it your, your side project, not your basket. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, the reason it feels crazy to me is because I have had to keep it to myself for so long because Mm -hmm. of the situation with my mom. There's not many people I can talk to about it. We've kept it hidden. I don't know why we're afraid to tell anybody about this. Do you talk to your brother about it at all? He's kind of mom's boy and not really interested in talking about his feelings or publicizing anything or looking for answers. I think he's fine letting it go. And that's the problem. I don't have anybody in the family who's like, yes, let's find out what happened. Yeah. How about friends? Any friends? Just (laughs) Just friends or anything to help? Oh, well, yeah. Um, my, the family I have now, my fiance, (laughs) um, he's very supportive and I've been through, I've had some better counselors, uh, recently that have helped me mm-hmm. kind of put this into perspective and have encouraged me to investigate things that interest me like this. Yeah. 
I deserve an answer. I deserve to know the truth or I deserve to find my peace with it and not just stuff it down and ignore it and hope that nobody finds out about it. This is the whole reason why I started giving people this medium to talk on. Everyone feels the shame. Everyone thinks that this is the skeleton in their closet, the shame of their family, whatever it is. And this affects a lot of people, whatever, if, if it's addiction, if it's death, if it's mm-hmm. uh, sexual assault, whatever. And I, I, you can't keep shoving it under the rug. And that's why I want to put it out there. <laughs> that's why I want people to tell their story. Cause, I get it. I totally know. get it. I think that's why I've become such a fan of your podcast, of your personal mm-hmm. podcast, of the peripherals, because yeah. there's, there's several things that have happened in my life that I have shared that I think my mother would have taught me to be ashamed of. Yeah. Because I've shared it, I've helped other people or they've helped me. And that's what it's all about, is helping each other get through things that are just, we've all got this crazy basket in our family. If we can't talk about it, then that can't be healthy. No, it can't. And that's, I I just remember when I started to talk to people and I remember there was a few people out on the internet that made some pretty crappy comments and I heard my own mother's voice in their comments or I heard your mother's voice in their comments. Mm -hmm. Why would you talk about this? Or they shouldn't have been doing that in the first place, whatever it was. And I I guess I hope to put more empathy out there in the world. If somebody makes a bad comment, I don't even reply. I just leave it out there. And I hope that maybe one day they'll go back and reread their comment and think, God, what a dick I am. (laughs) (laughs) I don't write back that they're a dick. I I just want, I hope to God that someday they'll see, they'll see it for themselves and they'll have empathy and you're... Hey, karma's a bitch. Yeah. So... You know, and and when you started off with, uh, you know, you're you're part of the don't talk to your mom club. (laughs) Right. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, it's just, it's, it sucks and and, and it's still new to me because after my dad died, we did get a lot closer you know, I discovered that my mom is really fun when she drinks wine. We we actually bonded over that, and we were close for a while. We ta- almost talked once a week for uh, quite a long time. That's great. And yeah. I just don't understand. I'm a good, nice person, and the things that she doesn't approve of in my life are, oh, it's just ridiculous. I don't need the, the negativity. And, and this is, you know, my dad was really important to me. I don't want to hide his death. I don't want to hide how I feel about him. I don't want to hide how this affected me in my life. My children know all about it. They know I'm doing this tonight, this this interview. They know that I'm doing a podcast. They're 15-year-old smart teenage girls who can kind of grasp that this is therapeutic for me, that I need to talk about it. I need to share it with people in that it that we've all got these problems. And you don't want your father to be forgotten either. You know, if you I don't I really don't. I don't. And and he's got a great legacy. Integrity is definitely still there for him. His history with what he did and his job and the kind of person that he was, the people that knew him have nothing but wonderful things to say about him. So there's that. And if his death came as a surprise to all of us millions of people who have the same situation pop up where it's what is the suicide from what what are you talking about suicide yeah how can this be i don't know i don't know where to go next other than that this has been extremely freeing talking about it (laughs) maybe maybe that will be enough for me i don't know or Mm. maybe if i talk about it more with other people 
there'll be some other guesses, some other direction. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe when other people hear this story, they'll jump on the Facebook discussion groups and share their thoughts. Right. I I didn't know um, from your emails, I didn't know if you went one way or the other on on this. You start with, he took his life, but that doesn't mean you absolutely believe that just because you started your email that way. (laughs) Officially, that is the cause of death, Mm -hmm. is a hanging manner of death, suicide. So that's what I have to tell the world uh, officially, but um, I can ask questions. I'm allowed to. Yeah, absolutely. And you should. That's what I uh, tell everyone is question everything. As much as I'm a skeptic on stuff, I still question it all because that's what's inherent in me. And sounds like you too. Yeah, but it's taken me a while to get there. I've always been kind I've been pretty good about being told what to do about things and shutting up when I'm supposed to. And this is, <laughs> this is a new era in my life. Of... <laughs> I'm proud of Nobody you. puts baby in a quarter. <laughs> that makes me so. happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Julie, for sharing your story. Our next guest is Jolene. Jolene's brother is a kind and loving sibling, but he gets himself into some trouble. Um, My name is Jolene. I lost my brother back in 2002, and the it's a suspicious, suspicious death. I mean, essentially, I believe he was murdered. Um, Most anybody that's looked at the case or read anything on it believes he was murdered, and the police in the town that I lived in deemed it you know, it was an accident. There's just a lot of gaps and a lot of things that don't make sense. Just tell me a little bit about him and and growing up. And my brother was 36 when he died. I'm like 12 years younger than him. So I was quite a bit younger. And at the time was um, living with my parents, working full time and going to school. We have a really tight family, a close family. And He's a very, very loving person, but a bit of a rascal. Um, Both of my older brothers um, had been into a lot of trouble over the years with the police in the Kansas City area. I think you could drop their names and they would know who they were. (laughs) So, you know, he um, prolonged drug use. He was pretty much a free spirit. You know, he, he worked and did everything, but he just kind of did, you know, what he wanted and so I have no doubt about that. You know, he was involved in some shady stuff. And to me, it's it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, nobody deserves to die like, to die like that, regardless. I don't think my brother would have hurt somebody the way that, you know, the way that he was hurt. But um, it was, it, it's hard to say, because I've seen a lot with drugs and drug use. <laughs> and, and being involved with some shady stuff, well, I think that gives a little bit of uh, weight to he could have been attacked or he could have been in the wrong place at the wrong time as opposed to an accident. It just makes more sense to me. Exactly. Exactly. It's really one of the strangest things I had a, I had a feeling, um, you know, I was staying at my, my parents' house and my brother came by the day before he was killed. He, he came by my mom's house to visit. I had a, really intimate moment with him. Like we were goofing around, picking on each other. And he was like laying on the floor and his back hurt. And he's like, walk on my back, you know, and we were just goofing around. And and then I ended up just like sitting on the floor with him. And it was just something hit me. I think he knew that he was in some deep shit. So (laughs) 
he told me something about, you know, I may have to blow out of town for a little while. I want to get some things straightened out. He had a, a six-month-old baby at the, t- at the time, my, my niece, and it seemed like he was wanting to, to straighten some things out and get his life back on track. But he was, I had a feeling he was going to go stay with a family member in Florida that has a houseboat. So I knew maybe he was into something. Nobody heard from him for a couple of days. And I kept pressing my mom about it. And um, he was working on a job not far from my parents' house. And uh, it was weird. Uh, They found a body. Oh, my gosh. Not a mile, not even two miles from my parents' house in a new subdivision that was being built. And um, it was mostly you know, the, the basements and stuff that had been poured. So it was like at the very starts of a subdivision mm-hmm. and the description they released on the news didn't sound like my brother, but I had a feeling right off. Like I kept pushing my mom and she would get mad at me. And so we ended up having the police come to the house. I think it, I'm bad on dates here right now. I think it was about two days after he had been killed and they came out to, to you know, to tell us that it was him. Yeah. It just, the way he was found, um, everything is strange. <laughs> so he's he's found in a underdeveloped subdivision, uh, like what in a back wooded area, kind of. Actually, pretty close to the road. It was kind of raining outside, and a, an electrician that was working at the subdivision across the road happened to see him. And thought it was somebody drunk, just like sprawled out. Um, he was probably 20, 20 feet from the road on his back. And he thought, man, it's raining. I'm, I'm going to go check and see if that guy's, you know, if someone just stumbled over there drunk or, or something weird. And his description, my other brother and my dad had talked to this guy um, on the side. He, he thought that my brother had been shot in the head, which is just... I think when sometimes when they find a body, you, it's hard to tell depending on how much blood is covering that, you know, like what exactly happened. But um, he he thought that he had been shot, and my brother had had not been shot. He was appeared to be very very badly beaten. But there was enough blood and and, and gore that he thought something more serious. Ex- exactly. Oh. I don't know. My family was bombarded with all sorts of things after the cops had come to the house. Um, people showing up that knew my brother that were like, uh, one of his friends, I I'm, I'm thinking a meth head, total meth head at the time was like, you need to file a wrongful death lawsuit, like just going on about all this stuff. And then he'd been talked to by the police in town and, just shut up after that and wouldn't talk to anybody at all anymore. Um, he, he was talking about a wrongful death lawsuit against who? Like against the subdivision or what? That's what I don't understand. I don't know if he was like talking about, he was rambling about a lot of different things. Um, police involvement. There was a girl that my brother was friends with and had been friends with for a long time that he was with the night before and had been hanging out with the week previous. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of stories, a lot of stories from different people and things that didn't make sense. Supposedly this girl, you know, reports and, and everything that came from her, she said that she dropped my brother off at a house that was over behind that subdivision that night and didn't see him again and said she had drove back, uh, was calling out, trying to see if he was there and he wasn't. 
And supposedly she was supposed to be one of the last people that he was with. We did get a report that, or, or read, uh, read a report that my brother had been in another house in town. Uh, this girl, her name was Catherine, at her mother's house. And overall, like every, out of everything that I have heard, there was a bag of drugs and a bag of money. And I have a feeling that my brother and this girl screwed somebody over and ended up taking everything and trying to take off with it. And uh, other people in town that had known my brother were like, these people that they were messing with are really bad people. She was threatened. The The police actually told this girl at the time, um, a stripper, I can't remember where she was stripping at, had a boyfriend that my, my brother had gotten into a fight with and a gun was pulled out about a week before. So there was like, there's so many just to me, you know, crazy things going on. And I think the worst part of it is the, the police that were on case and stuff at that time were pretty nasty with my family and I about that. My brother fell out of a tree is what they told us. And we looked at the site and there's no way that anybody could have got a run and tried like at a run, dead run and tried to climb a tree the one he was found under and actually made it up it and the brush and stuff around the tree. There was a lot of brush wasn't disturbed. There weren't broken branches. My brother was like six, two, I don't know, one, one seventy, one eighty. you know, a muscly guy, but I, I just can't imagine they're not, you know, you couldn't see anything around it. And he had uh, injuries that weren't consistent with a fall to me. He had like a compound fracture on on his arm where he had probably raised it maybe raised it up in a defensive manner mm-hmm. um his skull was fractured his pelvis was broken and ribs were broken on one side of uh, his body like to where they had punctured organs it's funny because at the time where i worked my uh, my boss was an ex-homicide detective in kansas city and he asked me to bring the autopsy and everything in and the police reports so he could look at it He's a very close friend of my mom's and uh, he looked through it. He said, this is a joke. He goes that they, he goes, they should at least leave it open. He said, because he, this wasn't an accident. He's like, your brother was tortured and beaten to death. This is what it looks like. And then whether it was drug related, you know, I mean, it had to have been drug related, but. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, if you climbed up to the top of a tree, which I don't know how big this tree was and fell out of it, you, you could do a lot of damage on the way down. But yeah, but yeah, but having, I guess, compound fractures, I, I kind of get what you mean. Are the injuries consistent with a fall? And yeah, it's hard to tell. But if there's not broken limbs or, I guess, bark embedded in his skin, I don't think that sounds like a fall from a tree. But I, I guess that's a, a quick quick conclusion to jump to exactly there was i mean the way he was found laid out he had um tennis shoes and socks on a pair of sweatpants no shirt and his shirt which wasn't torn or anything was kind of thrown up onto uh one of the tree branches and his sunglasses um were like thrown out like beside him and there had actually been a sighting somebody had called on a car that was driving over there that evening that he died they reported like a make and a model of a car that was suspicious driving around there and then left. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a high-end subdivision. Most of the houses are 250 and up. 
and there's just like so many things that we're going through our minds of like, are they just trying to cover this up because they don't want, you know, another murder s- statistic lumped into and associated with a subdivision that's brand new? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, a, you know, the, the property it, value is already going to get lowered before it's even gone up. Exactly. They, they didn't even have a house built yet in that subdivision. Just nothing, nothing seemed consistent. The, the strangest thing to me that I, I've read through and read through his autopsy, nothing is mentioned. And I've, I've asked people that do embalming and different things too, and that they have no idea. At the funeral, at my brother's funeral, you know, nobody ever looks great, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but his hands had holes in them. And I did special effects makeup and stuff for quite a few years, films in Kansas City. And I know a lot of people that do, you know, more intricate stuff than me. And you can you can do some pretty damn impressive stuff in the funeral industry, even just reconstructing and making people look good. His hands were crossed across his chest. And I remember going up and looking. It looked like you could stick almost two fingers into the holes that were in his palms. It went clear through the top of his hand, you know, through they had kind of tried to cover stuff up and everything. And I just, I remember seeing it and thinking, well, what, <laughs> why would, why would those holes be there? And, um, yeah, cause that, that's I, not something that would happen falling out of a tree. And why would they put holes in there during an autopsy? Exactly. It just made no sense. And so my mom saw it, you know, when we first had people arriving and she were crying and I went over and, you know, we had a rosary and so I'm like trying to wrap it kind of to cover his hands so people don't see it. Like I was saying, the boss, when he had read through that too, and I, I told him, I didn't think of pulling him aside. He was at the funeral and, and telling him about it. I think I had shown him the autopsy and everything after the funeral. But when I had brought it up to him, the ex homicide detective, he goes to me, he's like, he goes, if your brother had stolen stuff from some people, and they were trying to get their stuff back and they're torturing him or anything. He's like, they could have nailed him up to something. They could have. He goes, the way his injuries sound, he goes, he could have been hit with a car. You know, the way his pelvis was crushed. It could have been, you know, multiple things. But he goes, the holes in your hand like that to me is like I, the way they looked. It looked like somebody pounded something through his hands just to hang him up on something, you know. Mm-hmm. But none of it was mentioned. And any time... The more questions I asked at that time, the more people I talked to, I started experiencing, um, I worked at the library, um, too. And the drive home that I took, um, I passed that spot where they found him every day on the way to and from work. And I had a, a cop from town that would follow me and he was outside of the city limit. So when I was coming from work to home, he would follow me and ride the tail of my car to the point like I was very nervous. And it went on like daily. I don't know if, <laughs> you know, I wasn't doing anything suspicious. So I don't know at that time if it had something to do with me asking questions, pushing more. So what what happened when you did ask questions and when you tried to inquire about your brother where they like what was their typical response did they even respond to you after a while the hardest thing is um they you know they were rude you know i mean my mom had just she just lost her son and you know not that they have to baby people but come on you know have have a little respect even if your your son was a druggie if he he never killed anybody he never you know 
he loved his family. He took care, you know, they were very dis disrespectful. And if we asked questions, they laughed at us and they made us sound like we were idiots. I mean, it just like went to the wayside and, um, I, I you know, I didn't have any direct threats, but my mom kind of got on me at the time because I was asking so much. And she had had a friend years ago in the Kansas city area that son, I don't, I don't know what he was into. Um, definitely. I don't know if it was meth could have been heroin, but they found him in a warehouse that was burnt down and both of his kneecaps had been, he'd been shot and, um, burn up in this warehouse. And when, my mom's friend was asking questions about her son. She started getting threatening phone calls. And so my mom's like, you need to stop, you know, because we don't know, we don't really know who's involved or what's going on. If law enforcement at the time was involved in it or covering anything up. The, the biggest thing, it really bothers me that there's no closure. I don't know that we would ever, you know, find the people that killed him you know, or get any direct answers, but it, it just bothers me that it was, um, closed as an accident. And how quickly and did they close it? Very quick. The girl that he was friends with, probably in this, involved in this drug deal and everything, the police told her to leave town. She went to Arizona with her boyfriend and, you know, of course we're hearing rumors from friends of theirs and everything that, yeah, she left town, her and her boyfriend left town and they had a bag of cash and she was going to work out there and, da, 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 and all this stuff. Yeah. It's just, there's so many answer, unanswered questions. So, um, so he has multiple people that he was seen with the night prior to his body being found. And it doesn't sound like they were questioned all that intensely or like his other friend after he was questioned, he stopped talking. And, yeah. then, and then you're uh, followed by a police officer every day to and from work. I, yeah. I mean, even if there's no conspiracy here, that sounds really bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. even if there was zero intention, everything you just painted for me sounds intentional. Yeah. It wasn't too long after that. I mean, it wasn't a year, probably. There was a, a they cleaned house, the police department in, in town, um, we had a new police chief, and they got rid of a lot of people. The main detective that we were dealing with, um, I believe, retired. To me, it just, I just feel like somebody came in and cleaned house. And, you know, the police department runs fine now, and I, I don't hear of a lot of problems. It seems like they're pretty, you know, but when I was growing up there, even back in the day, I always tell people, I'm like, our dare officer when I was in high school went to school with my brothers and they were quite a bit older than me. You could get, you could buy drugs off of him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like small town mentality and, and, and pretty crooked. And this girl, I heard a lot of things. This girl that my brother was friends with, I probably heard 10 people tell me that she was a narc and that the police used her uh, in different cases. And it's all rumor. So <laughs> you mentioned something there though, is, a new lieutenant, a new captain comes in, and there's a huge overhaul in the police department. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the pieces fit, <laughs> it's not. I I don't think it. You're you're not paranoid when when the pieces are fitting together here. 
No, and I have a lot of names. If I if I go back, I you know I had buried a lot of that information. You know, put it away in boxes and stuff. All this I, I had taken detailed notes, journal entries and stuff as things were happening. And like I haven't really looked through any of that. I was going to look through a lot of that before I I talked to you. And it's just like there's names of people that I could go back and try to contact probably to ask that were involved. Mm -hmm. Um, they had, it wasn't just the police force in town. It was, they also had uh, Kansas city. They had a Kansas city crime unit that was out there. You know, I have names first and last names of some of the people that were involved in the autopsy and everything. And I've, I've thought, you know, can you go back and talk to those people and see what they were maybe remember? I don't know. They can reopen investigations. That's not impossible. Like you were saying earlier, there's the politics of it. You know, the higher the crime rate, where the crime happens is a factor. Uh, their closure rate on crimes is a factor. You know, when they want to lower the crime rate in an area, they can deem certain things different ways. You know, we're, we're going to write down that amount of marijuana is a little less, so it's not a felony charge, or we're going to deem this uh, car break-in as vandalism because we can't prove anything was stolen. So a vandalism charge or a vandalism you know, report is less than a break-in. Uh, they can play games with their, their numbers and their reports. I hope no one takes offense to me saying that. It's it's pretty well known. I've had police officers tell me <laughs> of this practice. So would they be willing to reexamine this case? Would they be willing to put a homicide on their reports to reopen this case? Uh, I, I like you. I think they should have just left it open, like that homicide detective said. It's so much of it, it's hard because I feel like they treated us with everything as your brother's a druggie. He's has a, a known criminal past and he's worthless. So, it, you know, it's like it doesn't count. And it was in a nice subdivision. And it's like, there's, there, you know, somebody murdered him. They're out there. I could see multiple people being involved in this. Yeah. They're, the easiest way to get away with murder is to kill a junkie. And that's that's it, because they're the dregs of society and no one cares not like a oh she was a kindergarten school teacher yeah if it's, it's if it's a druggie or a prostitute or anybody that it's sad because i watch the news and after going through this you know i see cases and i feel for families <laughs> you know where you hear about like somebody well he was he was you know had a criminal record and this and that and it's like that person could have been a wonderful loving person and cherished in a family and feel for the families of those people too. It's what is it called? A missing white girl syndrome. A white girl, teenager or woman is killed, murdered or goes missing. Well, that gets national attention, but minorities or drug users or gang members, well, no one really cares. And I think that's part of what you're, you're getting right now is the, the law enforcement just, they wanted to write it off and not care. And I, I feel the same way. I think everyone should be treated equally. I think that any crime should be treated equally. Now you know what it's like. And so when you see these new re news reports, when you see these other uh, families going through it, you absolutely can relate to the frustrations and the letdowns that I'm sure that they're all going through. Exactly. Yeah. Any of those families, just just 
the horrifying trauma of finding out it shook it shook my world losing him i felt like it was two years of just not functioning normal you know <laughs> and my mom you know um a parent losing a kid um it doesn't matter if your kid's a druggie or or whatever you just lost your baby you know and it's like somebody took their life somebody should be held accountable for it and yeah i do I, going through that i Definitely. Anytime I see the news, I, I, I get pretty angry about how the media throws stuff at us. You know, what's going to get ratings? What's what's going to get more response? And yeah, you just want justice Yeah, <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Everyone has a family, no matter who they were. I must admit that I've I feel much more sympathy for anyone, whether it be a victim of a heinous crime or survivors and whether those survivors be the the victim's family or the perpetrator's family, because they're all attacked. They're all, you know, shamed in public. And I completely understand when people just don't want to talk to the press at all, because there's nothing good that typically comes from it. Yeah, I do. I think of uh, different killers there, like you said, their parents on that side of it. And it's just horrifying. Try to put myself in their shoes and think, man, what, what would it be like you find out your kid, murdered somebody or you know (laughs) you do you have to feel for him because you know you still have that love for that person and yeah the press isn't they're not going to play it (laughs) sensitive to you at all so yeah I, i lost my brother and it was a drug related situation where either he od'd or it was a a bad mix to the point where i almost feel the doctors or the pharmacists who would prescribe him these things. And then he would forget that he got it prescribed because he was just seriously mentally ill or he would take too much because it was never supervised or he would get prescribed one drug from one pharmacy. Then he would get prescribed another one from another pharmacy. And this is before they had a database to see what drug interactions you might have. And he ended up having uh, an aneurysm and a stroke. Of course, my mom and my sister were like, well, who's responsible for this? If he was taking all the, he was prescribed everything and he was taking it the way he should have, what happened? Was it just an accident? Is anyone to blame? Can we hold anyone accountable? Go figure. So your family has dealt with that too and not having that closure. Yeah. I think sometimes though you see people and and even when they get the closure, it doesn't always bring comfort either, you know, but. I do. I, I did listen to your podcast on your brother, and I feel that link with you on that, yeah. on that loss, just of and mental illness too. Because mm-hmm. that, that my brother, that's one thing we we my mom and I got into an argument. Um, he he was never afraid to take <laughs> anything. I, I for the longest time really believed that he was schizophrenic, and I found medication in some of his stuff when we got his things back that had been prescribed to him uh, when he would had been on a lockdown. That was for schizophrenia, you know, and my mom's like, he didn't have any problems. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> he had a lot of problems. And it's, yeah, it's, it's sad because your parents are always in such denial. And that that's a, yeah. a running theme I see in, in a lot of families with either mental illness or drug addiction or all the above is they want to think of their, their children as their perfect babies and they never want to really accept. I have to really understand that there's a problem here and that they were struggling or whatever it is.
Sorry. <laughs> no problem. You're fine. I guess, uh, was there any other details that you would want to add? I'm trying to think. Um, I could go down list of stuff, like things that I had, and it's, you know, but looking at it broadly, just those in- inconsistencies. What can people do if they want to pursue opening stuff? I mean, you, you've you've interviewed a lot of different people um, in your other podcast and stuff, too. What type of experience, like experiences have people had or, or what resources um, maybe could they go to, you know, if they wanted to try to reopen a case? Um, lawyers, private detectives, and re-engaging law enforcement. I mean, there's, a, you know, a new chief in town, so maybe he'll be more sympathetic to the situation. Those are the things that I typically see used, but... I'm sure listeners will probably have a lot more ideas than I do. Um, well, I know back when this happened, I probably couldn't have walked in that police station without wanting to go psycho on somebody. But it's been years, and I'm, you know, I think I can handle things calmly. But one, one thing, they have stuff in evidence, which it may not even be around anymore, that they would not release um, my brother's belongings, things that were on him. And when we had asked the police, okay, so you're saying you're confirming this is an accident. We want my brother's stuff. The detective that was on the case told my mom, well, we have to hang on to that. You know, what if somebody did come forward and say they did something? I don't think my mom ever got his stuff that was on him. And to me, that that right there was a red flag. It's like, okay, you're saying it's an accident, but you need to hang on to his stuff for evidence it's inconsistent. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to you if they had suspicions that somebody could come forward or something did happen that night. They should leave it open and not close it as an accident. It would just make more sense procedurally. Yeah. You know, and in the midst of grief, in the midst of like, you know, your gut, your gut wrenching, like your world falling out, everything. And you know, losing your brother, just like what it, what it can do to a family at that time. It's already, it's like you want some straight answers. And when you're dealing with all these inconsistencies, it has a tendency to make you feel even more paranoid. You know, I can look at things now, you know, at a little different perspective than I did at that time. But I know at that time I was just like, oh man, you're 100%. <laughs> yeah, you're like 100%. They're they're covering this up. There's some there's more to this because you're you're in the the, the throw of emotion, you know. You're you're not thinking straight, but you can at least process the details and know that something's wrong. This is always the thing is how do you backwards engineer an event that you weren't at? You have one chance to investigate it and they don't. Like, can yeah. you ever go back and put the pieces together and figure out exactly what happened that night? Maybe not. And that's the horrible part about murder or accidents or death is if you weren't there, it's it's just really hard to to prove, whether it be the cops trying to prove to you this absolutely was an accident or you try, trying to prove to the cops there is absolutely more to this. It's the most heartbreaking situation I think somebody can really put themselves into. It, it did being, you know, another statistic. I feel like, oh, yeah, okay, I am. I'm on that. <laughs> you know, there's so many people. I mean, you turn the news on nightly and you just shootings and all these things. And there's a lot of 
cases out there like that where people will never have any kind of closure. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard enough that they're gone, you know. It seems so cold to hear a 36-year-old man found. That was somebody you cared about, someone you loved, and now they're being marginalized to a, a blip, a headline, or an unidentified man. And I wish I had the little blurb from the newspaper because the exam, I think it was the examiner and I don't think it was a Kansas city star. I think it was the examiner, but they had, they did a little write up and they had a picture of my brother and had a, a good face shot of him. And, and it pretty much said Anthony, you know, was found. I think they mentioned something about an accident, but then it just said that he was, uh, had a previous history with the cops, you know, the cops out there and had a criminal record. And it's like it just dismissed the fact that they found a dead body. That's of no, you know, it's of no importance. And it's just not right. Um, and, and that's something I think a lot of people do is when they read the headline, they just dismiss them. Oh, they're a criminal or oh, they're this or they're that. And they can slap that label on and never think about it again. But even some of the worst people, they have people that love them. And they would have charm, charisma. There was always something good about them that somebody liked. What they did was probably a lot more than what they do for most. It's like I, I kind of want to give them a little bit of credit because they actually included a, a headshot and talked about them a little bit. I mean, that's more than you know most. What? You're right. You, <laughs> you are know? right about that because that, that is more than than most. Yeah. It is. I hate to take their side I'm, I, you know because I agree with you it's it, it's very dismissive but it's better than most and when the yeah you did get a little headshot most of the time yeah when you're reading through you end up just seeing a headline hmm. yeah <laughs> I'm sorry Jolene <laughs> you're fine I feel like I'm I'm a little I'm a little off it's an emotional thing for anybody but it's like I'm there's a day that goes by that I don't miss him and hmm. you know he's got Three kids that are freaking fantastic, man. All, you know, it's like he did put some great things in the world. I love my two nieces and my nephew. As bad as both of my brothers are, their kids have come out fantastic. <laughs> he had such a big heart and really, you know, cared about people. And it's like you just want – it helps to talk about that stuff, just to talk about them, you know, or else they really, you know, they really are gone. Yeah. And you don't want to forget him. Exactly. My brother was the biggest clown. He he made people laugh, and he was great with kids, and you just didn't want to, you know, piss him off or anything. <laughs> but, you know, the people that he loved and cared about, he'd fight for them, and I don't know. I just, I feel like I learned, I learned a lot from him in my life, having him as a big brother. He's, you know, he was the best. But yeah, the the justice system itself. That's what <laughs> I'm such a. <laughs> I love crime podcasts, serial killer podcast. I love anything to do with justice. Um, yeah, always have. But yeah, I, I get into it because I'm just I think about all these other situations and um, things that need to change in our system, or how could they change? You know. Well, and it's a story like this that will never get any coverage. It's a story like yeah. this that will that doesn't have the pizzazz that a serial killer or a mass shooting or whatever. I just think so many of us are, are touched by that. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. It's something that is very prevalent in society, but we don't 
most people don't want to accept that or, or think about it or talk about it even. So many of us, so many of us touched by it and... <laughs> yeah. As usual, thank you to both my guests for sharing their stories. Some of you might have noticed that I've put my Patreon on a hiatus. I wasn't able to put out any new content this month, so I didn't find that it was fair to accept donations when I wasn't able to produce any any content for you guys. I should be back on track. I have two episodes almost ready to go. I'm going to try to lighten the mood with the next few episodes, so keep an eye out for them. 